If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Will you pray with me? Stick a fork in us, Holy One, because we are done. We are at capacity. We are out of graciousness, patience, and pleasantries. Is this how it was for Jesus? I mean, for someone we think of as a people person, Jesus sure did step away quite a bit, Holy One. He goes up the mountain, into the hills, out to a deserted place, into the garden, anywhere to get away from the crowds and the disciples, the responsibilities and the obligations. Well, wouldn't that be nice? It feels sometimes like we do not have the space or the time to take a break. Some of us can't even go to the bathroom alone because toddlers. But also, there is so much to tend to. Strained relationships, the full clothes hamper, raging white supremacy, economic injustice, a pandemic. And in the back of our minds, we hear, there's no rest for the wicked and the righteous don't need it. Except Jesus needed it. So what does that tell us about what we need? Perhaps this is why scripture includes so many examples of Jesus doing exactly what we aren't sure we have time to do. We really have no idea how long he stepped away. So it's possible that some of these moments were a five-minute mindfulness meditation. And maybe every once in a while, it was several days uninterrupted. What would Jesus do if he were us? A long, slow inhale followed by an equally long, slow exhale. Repeat as many times as it takes to remember that without you, we cannot do anything, and without us, you will not do anything. We pray in the name of our teacher, Jesus, who showed us how to take a holy time out. Amen. The sermon this morning comes from the Gospel according to Mark, 
chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Perhaps you learned the names of the disciples the same way I did, in a song learned in Sunday school. Jesus called them one by one, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Next came Philip, Thomas too, Matthew and Bartholomew. James, the one they called the less, Simon, also Thaddeus. The twelfth disciple Judas made, Jesus was by him betrayed. Yes, Jesus called them, yes, Jesus called them, yes, Jesus called them, and they all followed him. It's lovely, isn't it? But it's important to state the obvious. No women are included. They are not included in part because they are also not included in any of the official call stories of the male disciples. There are some who think I should skip over this note, like, get over it already. You got to go to seminary, and they even let you get a doctor of ministry. But spoiler alert, I'm never going to get over it. Only a few years ago, we laid to rest our beloved Willie Ream, who was only allowed to earn a theology degree if she promised not to follow it up by pursuing official ordination into Christian ministry because she was a woman. The call stories of only male disciples is still used to exclude women from leadership in the church and is the foundation for sexism in general for many. This is because, as theologian Mary Daly said, if God is male, then male is God. So let me remind us of a few things. There were, of course, female disciples, regardless of whether or not they are recognized as such by the church. In the eighth chapter of Luke, we are told, soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages. The 12 were with him, as well as some women, Mary, and Joanna, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. We also know that Mary Magdalene was the first apostle, the apostle to the apostles, as the story goes, for Jesus appeared to her and sent her forth long before any of the men arrived at the tomb. But we also know that it's just plain bad luck for men that they are the only ones identified explicitly 
as disciples. I mean, sorry dudes, the male disciples play a very particular role in the Gospels, and it's not flattering, especially in Mark, where one of the main themes is that the disciples never get it. Bless their hearts. They rarely pick up what Jesus is putting down. The boys are confused and dismayed when Jesus tells them that his life will end not with triumphal entry into Jerusalem, but in crucifixion. They dream of power and glory, and much to Jesus' dismay, they fight over who will get to sit at Jesus' right and left hand. This was important to them because they misunderstood the kingdom of God as looking very much like the kingdom of Rome. And if Caesar had a right-hand man, then so would Jesus. And so they jockey for the closest position. Their hope was that Jesus would be the mighty warrior king who would lead them in a successful rebellion against Rome so that they could be the ones in charge. This consistent and relentless confusion was due, in part, to their maleness. After all, men had the power, not women, so it was much more difficult for men than women to understand Jesus' good news, because women were among the least of these, the underdogs, the ones who knew what it was to not have power, to not have agency. Women had no vote and no voice. They had little opportunity for economic independence. They were separate and subservient. So when Jesus said that he had come to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, to let the oppressed go free, the women were here for that message. They were ready for that good trouble. They were on board with that holy mischief. The women weren't looking for Jesus to bring the kingdom of God if it was going to look just like the kingdom of Caesar. That wasn't working for them which is why they were the last to leave the cross and the first at the tomb. So about women, we can indeed sing. Yes, Jesus called them. Yes, Jesus called them. Yes, Jesus called them. And they all followed him. Now, you may think this sermon topic, the call of the disciples, is a rerun from last week, but not quite. Last week, we heard Luke's version of Simon, Andrew, James, and John being called by Jesus, but the focus was on Simon Peter's exchange with Jesus to put out into deep waters and let his nets out for a catch. This week is, again, the call of the disciples, but Mark's version you heard me complain last week about, um, well, some details there. I mean, to, to recap, it is wildly irritating in some of the Gospels that the disciples' response to Jesus is so immediate. It just makes it seem like anything less than immediate, absolute devotion isn't faithful. But in Luke, Jesus has an established reputation and the boys have interacted with this itinerant preacher before he asks them to join him on the road. 
So they know he isn't some fly-by-night televangelist looking to fund a private jet plane. But, alas, we are in the Gospel of Mark this week, and the disciples are gung-ho from the get-go. This may have just been Mark trying to keep the story moving. After all, he sets a quick pace from the beginning. We're only 14 verses into the first chapter, and Jesus has already been baptized, spent 40 days in the wilderness, and preached his first sermon, repent and believe the good news. So perhaps the would-be disciples had a few more things to say to Jesus before agreeing to join him, but Mark is simply characteristically brief about it. Here in Mark, Jesus does not ask to use their boat as a floating pulpit, nor does he tell them to put out into deep waters and let their nets down for a catch. He simply and directly invites them to join him. Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Now, I know that many of us hear that phrase, fish for people, or perhaps the more familiar, fishers of men, and take it as Jesus asking the disciples to convert people to Christianity. But Jesus wasn't a Christian, and neither were the disciples. His invitation is certainly for transformation, but not as tradition has led us to believe. Ched Myers, in his book, Binding the Strong Man, explains that the metaphor of fishing is taken from Jeremiah 16, verse 16, where it is used to symbolize God's disapproval of Israel. It is used to warn those guilty of social injustice in Amos chapter 4, verse 2. The time is surely coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. And in Ezekiel 29, verse 4, where catching fish with hooks is used to represent divine judgment upon the rich and the powerful, respectively. So Jesus is not asking these men to form a social club or put together a list of righteous do's and don'ts. His ask is for radical change. Jesus, Myers writes, is inviting common folk to join him in his struggle to overturn the existing order of power and privilege. Note what Jesus is not asking them to do. He is not asking them to invite him into their hearts in order to get a heavenly parking space when they die. Jesus doesn't say a word about right belief or the afterlife. The purpose of Jesus' call to discipleship, writes theologian Osvaldo Vinmo, is not to take people out of a hostile world, promising them a better life in God's heavenly kingdom. Instead, his purpose is to change the world in such a way that it will cease to be the hostile place it is, so that God's reign can be established on earth. And although Jesus would have to explain this to them over and over, 
And although they mess up and get it wrong time and time again, the disciples indeed do it. Their experience as low-wage workers living under occupation and their own sense that God wanted to love them into freedom and free them into loving, to quote Cinder Warnick, all of this inspires them to say yes to Jesus, to drop their nets and follow him. This is the call we inherit not one to secure a mansion over the hilltop, but to overturn the existing order of power and privilege. Doing this will require that we make a preferential option for the poor, the dispossessed, the excluded, and those who have because of gender, sexual orientation, race, country of origin, and class been rendered invisible in our society. Our prisons are not just overcrowded, they are deadly. Three people incarcerated in the Oklahoma County Jail have already died less than a month into 2021. The system is not currently designed to rehabilitate and restore. We need to change it. According to the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, there are almost 80 million people who have been forced to flee their homes globally with more than 26 million identified as refugees, meaning they cannot return and need a new place to call home. The U.S. refugee system was decimated by the Trump administration, so we must double down our efforts to put out the welcome mat for these folks. January has been the deadliest month for COVID-19 with nearly 80,000 lives lost so far in the US. And this is because some of us are simply considered expendable. Talk about power and privilege. Oh, there is so much fishing to do. So it is time to hear the call of the disciples again for the first time, as Marcus Borg might say, and to be as bold as those first disciples. Jesus called them one by one, Barbara, Cindy, Jim, and John. Next came Lucy, Charlotte too, Lee and Haley, and don't forget Luke. Blake, the one they called a mess, Roxanne and then Julius, Laura, Stephen, Mandy, Ryan, Joe, Jana, and Nancy. Yes, Jesus called them. Yes, Jesus called them. Yes, Jesus called them. And they all followed him. So come on, church. Let's go. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Rev. Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only. 
premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.